Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So friends, we are going to be in a mini series for most of the month of November. Uh, We're going to be taking a look at three holidays that fall within this month. And we're going to take a look and see, well, where did this holiday come from? What do we do to observe it? How do the different traditions observe it differently so which holiday are we looking at first so the first holiday we're looking at is actually kind of a collection of holidays known uh, when you put them all together is all hallowed tide Um, we're going to focus in on all saints day which is november 1st Um, though sometimes celebrated on whatever the first sunday of november is Um, but with november 1st all saints day if we are going to talk about that we need to also slightly mention all hallows eve also known as halloween and all souls day because they all work together to create this time of celebrating the saints that are departed uh, whether canonized or just regular christians who have gone on to be with jesus yeah like i feel like this whole holiday has such a variety of how you can observe it Mm -hmm. depending on what country you live in or even which country your family came from, and which faith denomination you come from. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many different ways that you can observe this holiday. And curiously, too, because of that diversity of experience and branches of the Christian family tree's expression of or dealing with the notion of being saints, there are some traditions that are uh, indifferent at best, some that are outright hostile toward the all hallows eve part and are and are decidedly they it's unchristian to celebrate halloween seemingly unaware that halloween has roots in centuries and centuries of christian practice and tradition and there are others who have been doing ways of celebrating the saints in all sorts of different ways and yeah different meanings of what it means to be a saint so like maybe that's a place for us to start is that that word by itself conjures up a bunch of different meanings for people mm-hmm. depending on where their background is in in christianity um and maybe we should start there and then we'll work our way out to things like halloween <laughs> <laughs> so for myself as a protestant a saint is a believer okay you know any anybody who proclaims jesus christ as lord and savior but for my catholic family those they recognize those people as saints as well but then you also have the canonized saints of the church mm-hmm. and like, what, like francis and the gospel writers and you know all those different saints that you hear saint anthony mm-hmm. um saint francis yeah so yeah. you use the technical word canonized there and that sort of points at like okay so broadly there's probably an acknowledgement even even including roman catholic uh and and orthodox folks as well of yes the word saint can mean all the followers of jesus because the new testament uses that language and in all paul's letters he will write to the saints at corinth or colossi or whatever and he's not referring to just a small number of people with halos and golden backgrounds around their heads but that's his way of talking about all the christians in that community so there's good reason for that kind of language Mm -hmm. but 
in some traditions, over enough centuries, they developed this sense of a particular subgroup of people who we all recognize as particularly stand out in their holiness. And they, we, we should note, too, the word saint comes from just the word to mean to a, a holy person, right? Yep. Um so in and in the in the original Greek of the New Testament, the the word that gets translated saint just means holy person. So the holy ones is another way of translating the saints. But when 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 we talk about that canonized sense, what what does that mean? And what is that? What does it look like to be a canonized saint in traditions that do that? I don't know all the details of it. I, I know vaguely that at least in the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, typically the person has to have some sort of miracles associated with them. I believe either, either while they're alive after they're deceased or possibly both. Mm -hmm. And, um, they have to be dead for so long and it's a whole long process eventually leads to the Pope proclaiming them to be a canonized saint of the church. And I think one of the more recent is, is mother Teresa officially canonized now, or is she still in the running? I, I believe she has been canonized. She at least has been beatified. And that notes that there's like a multi-step process yeah. as there, I guess someone has been nominated. I mean, like, it's, it's a little weird to say, but like, yeah, somebody after they've died, someone will nominate and say, hey, so-and-so, uh, well, they were a great person. And I had a vision they appeared to me or, mm-hmm. and their face was in this piece of toast or, and I heard a voice and they said, hi, I'm the voice of St. So-and-so and I'm going to cure your ailment or whatever. And mm-hmm. then that becomes sort of a case made for this person should be canonized as a saint. And yeah, the a medium step in between is beatified. And usually there's a certain amount of um, uh, like time that, that goes between each step of uh, b- between someone's death and then somebody's mm-hmm. um, uh, somebody's uh, beatification and then their, their canonization. And for me, one of the, and I, I just remember this part, um, their body needs to be incorruptible incorruptible i think i think in in some cases although i'm not sure if that's always the case i i know that's like one of the factors that can lead somebody to be canonized as a saint Mm -hmm. and like you said see i don't know that's every case but that's like like how how do you know (laughs) right well and again like that goes into that we we are now doing this christianity thing for two thousand years that there are some places where the remains of people have been able to be preserved in shrines and things and i suppose if you had had them on display somewhere as in some places they've done yeah you'd say hey this person's body has been oddly preserved and has not been corrupted is that a sign of a miracle and then again if you're in a tradition that thinks we need those particular signs to mark out this person as a saint that would be helpful information toward making your case Uh, while while we're on the subject of making a case this is probably also a place to note that in the in the at least in the high tradition of canonizing saints when there would be sort of a formal almost courtroom kind of procedure for making the case for why so-and-so should be canonized as a saint that's actually where the position of a devil's advocate comes from that there were times where somebody's job was to argue here's why so-and-so should be a saint and somebody else's job was to say like as though they were taking the position of satan of saying like no they weren't all that great or no they shouldn't and like so the the role of devil's advocate actually comes from the the canonization process um and now we we use it more generally to be like i'm gonna argue the cons if you're arguing the pros of why we should or shouldn't do that um and it's sort of like i i guess the lutheran in me is actually kind of grateful for a role that is willing to say even the people we think are great have their flaws and what, what do we do about that 
we Lutherans tend to be much more comfortable owning together in dialectical tension. Yup, we're saints and we're mess ups at the same time. It's not one <laughs> or the other. But if you're in a tradition that's like, no, I'm either a saint or I'm not a saint, uh, then that would be a much more important rigid line to draw. Am I, have I done enough good stuff or holy stuff or enough miracles? Or is that report about my face and a piece of toast? Now that would turn out that was just somebody with a weird toaster. Um, like th- th- that's part of what that person's job is to say, are there reports of miracles that were true or is that made up? Or was the person's body really incorruptible or it turns out, no, they've just been embalmed or you know, something like that. So, okay, in in Roman Catholic tradition, there's this more narrow sense of the saints. And in Roman Catholic tradition and piety, then the celebration of the festival of all saints is particularly referencing like all that whole collection of canonized people, but who might not already have their own separate festival day, right? Or feast day. Correct. And that gets into a whole other piece of church nerdery and liturgical (laughs) year stuff that part of how you end up with feast days or festival days for individual people, it, it tends to be that the a day that somebody died is remembered as their, then uh, every year on that day we'll remember their life and tell that story. And eventually that becomes sort of firmed up as their festival day. So this is one of those things that some people might not know, but that when somebody celebrates St. Uh, Patrick's Day or St. Francis Day or something like that, to the best of our ability to know it, those are the days that the person died. It's not their birthday in most cases. A birthday is the festival of the nativity of Saint so-and-so, but th- this is a celebration of their death. And while that's that could sound kind of macabre and dark, in Christian tradition, that's a celebration of this. That's not the end of their story. This person is in, in Jesus' presence. This was their the beginning of their glorification and entry into God's eternal life. So that it, it's not a sad thing. But it's a uh, joyful thing in in church tradition to celebrate the occasion or anniversary of somebody's death. Well, and considering that's the first step to become a saint is that you have to die. Right. That makes sense, too. Right, right, right. And again, like in that technical sense, in that sort of canonized, the first step to being a saint is you have to be dead. Although there's also something lovely in the Protestant sense to me of like, yeah, the first step toward being made holy is we have to die to ourselves. I mean, there's something that feels like, very yeah, that's that's a totally Protestant way of talking. (laughs) Um. You were going to say something, Sarah. Yeah, I did some reading on a Britannica encyclopedia website to prepare for this episode. And um, it used to be that there was a day to honor martyrs in the faith Mm -hmm. in like springtime. And the first observance of all saints, like broadening it Mm -hmm. out to not just people who died as a martyr, but like all the saints, uh, didn't occur to until eight the year 800 when mm-hmm. a pope dedicated a new chapel in rome on behalf of all the saints yeah. and then that just sort of became a yearly thing within mm-hmm. like a decade or so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah we've been celebrating all the saints in early november since the year 800 in, in a way like i realized that all this conversation could sound very cumbersome and tedious to folks who are not church nerds uh, at first. Because, oh my goodness, who cares about what day? And who cares about all these dead people? But to me, there's something really beautiful about thinking like, in the beginning of the Christian faith, there was this sense of, especially for people who were sure Jesus was going to come back any minute. And mm-hmm. what a dear friend got rounded up by the Romans and stoned to death or crucified or beheaded. 
or when dear old Aunt Edna, who was hoping to get to see Jesus, died, and there's this thought of like, do their lives matter? Or when people realize, man, these people made a, an impact on my faith and my life. How do I thank God and celebrate that they were a part of my story? That in different ways, Christians figured it's important to be able to tell those stories and remember those names. And that at first, when we were just a bunch of small collectives in small towns, everybody would remember, hey, yeah, remember it was July 5th that so-and-so died. We should remember every year. This is the day that they died. Or uh, it'd be almost like the way in my guesses in our congregations where we serve, like when someone who's really important in the life of the church dies, you remember what day it was. And you remember every year when you were, you know, if you were the one with them in the hospital, you were the one at the funeral. We keep doing that in a, in a sort of small way. But for us to be able to say as the whole Christian community, even if you never knew so-and-so, man, they showed Jesus in our lives. You should know their story. Here's what I want you to know about them. Here's how they showed the love of God in, in my life. Um, and that, yeah, when there were martyrs, when there were people who had died for their faith, and maybe we didn't know all their names, but yeah, shouldn't we have some way of remembering there were people who were courageous enough to risk their lives for their faith? And that it makes sense that at some point said, well, could you still be important to God even if he didn't die? Yeah, so I guess part of me wants to go, good call, Pope, from the year 800 AD. It's good to say you don't necessarily have to get beheaded to be important in the reign of God. Yeah, you could have lived your whole life laying down your life day by day in love for other people and reflecting the light of Christ. So at some point or another, it makes sense that we arrived at that idea. We should remember those stories and those lives. But it can be real easy once we get into all the bureaucracy of, is somebody officially a saint? Did they get canonized? And did they do miracles? Then it can, to me, it sounds like we can, we can sort of lose sight of that these are real people who in their ordinary lives showed the love of Jesus in other people's lives. Which I think is why All Souls Day exists yeah. too, right? If the Catholic Church is going to celebrate All Saints Day on November 1st, within 200 years, they created All Souls Day to be November 2nd, where we celebrate all of the departed Christians, not just those canonized, not just the really important holy people, the saints, mm -hmm. but also all souls. Yeah, yeah. Like it was a pretty quick turnaround from just the, like really important people to you know less than 200 years later here's this new holiday also's yeah yeah and i think there's something lovely about recognizing that's the flow of logic that what maybe started with oh man we all knew paul he was really important we should remember the story of saint paul or oh boy we all knew you no know, saint apollos or whomever uh or eventually people who in 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 later centuries people, even Protestant, might recognize, oh, yeah, Francis of Assisi, he seems like a really important guy, we should tell his story. Um, but then to recognize, wait, even if you're not well known, you can make beautiful, meaningful contributions. And it's not about being a hero or a celebrity, but that you can reflect the love. And to me, that's a really beautiful thing to see Christian uh, faith and practice work out and create a way to observe and remember that. Um, it's just, it's funny that sometimes we also get ourselves all tangled up in knots over, did the official committee approve you to be a saint? And we we can, we can streamline some of that. And again, like as, as a Protestant, I'll own some of this as my bias, but to me, I think this is part of the beauty of how we try to hold on to the best of that tradition of we should acknowledge the people who've come before us and our connection to them and the promise of life beyond death for them, uh, but also not have to get hung up on, did you get nominated? Did you do a miracle after you died? Was your face in a piece of toast or something like that? So uh, like, let me ask, he, here we are, three Protestants who 
our church nerdy enough to observe and and mark this day called All Saints or All Souls uh, and this whole this whole season of the church's life. What does it look like where you live and serve, or what does it look like in the congregations you've been connected to in your life to remember or celebrate All Saints? What what does that mean, or what does it look like for you? For me, it has. Um, it's not necessarily something that every Methodist church does. Okay. I'll, I'll start with that. So anytime I go into a new church, I always have to ask, you know, do you, have you in the past celebrated All Saints Day? Um, because for me personally, I think it's a very important day of the year to celebrate and to remember. Um, and so, so far, every church I have served has celebrated before I got there. I might change a little bit what we do, but um, we read the names of those who have passed in the last year, starting with those who were church members. And I, I open it up if it's a kind of, low number year which you'd like to always be that you don't have a whole lot of souls that have died <laughs> um i'll open it up to immediate family parents grandparents siblings um so reading the names at the end of the service um we have a special liturgy for communion um that goes along with all saints it talks doesn't really mention any of the canonized saints but just talks about how everybody's a saint mm-hmm. um and then there's some sort of commemorative thing a candle is lit a flower is placed in a vase years ago my home church we made an altar of rocks or everybody every family put a rock up there mm-hmm. for a loved one mm-hmm. um so things like that are the traditions that i've done um i've done bell ringing after mm-hmm. names are called mm-hmm. um, and then in my last church at least i can't remember i did in my first churches um i always try to remember the martyrs as well mm-hmm. um and do something have like a red candle or maybe a red flower for them to kind of distinguish them from everybody else Mm -hmm. so that's what i've done yeah are there other ways that uh all saints have been practiced in your experience sarah yeah i have been okay so in the lutheran church you know we're all saints whether Mm -hmm. we have died or we're still living we recognize that we are sinners and saints Mm -hmm. so i've been lucky enough twice in my ministry so far to celebrate a baptism on all saints Mm -hmm. and so i really like to do baptisms or uh that's the day i've confirmed confirmation students before as a way to like emphasize that yes we are remembering those who have died but also we are recognizing this tension that we all have of being saints and sinners Mm -hmm. um And so it's so, but even on years that I'm not confirming anybody or baptizing somebody, I try to remember those whom we have baptized that past year. Um, If we've baptized anybody, um, Mm -hmm. my current congregation doesn't have a whole lot of kids. So the kids that we do have, they've all been baptized before I got there. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do things like that. Um, During the reading of the names, I usually try like the reading of the names of those who have died in the past year. I usually try to ask for names of people who have died in the past year. Mm-hmm. But if somebody writes a name that I know that they died like five years ago, I don't like not read their name. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, but since we follow the lectionary and it's a three-year reading cycle, um, there's one reading that is for uh, the, the New Testament epistle reading 
references the great cloud of witnesses. Mm -hmm. And so on that year, I do away with the, those who have died in the past year. And I very much am clear about like anybody in your life who has been influential in your faith journey, Mm -hmm. whether they're alive or dead, write their name. And we're going to remember all of them Mm -hmm. because this is our great cloud of witnesses that Mm -hmm. we are, um, that we are, that our faith has influenced our faith is part of our faith walk. And so we should remember them. Mm-hmm. 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 Cool. What about you, Steve? Do you do anything different? Uh, well, s- some of the things that both of you have named have been part of our practices uh, in the, the churches where I've served, where we will always include in, in prayer, remembering the names of those who've gone before. Sometimes that's been paired with lighting individual candles to remember each of those people, and sometimes inviting the families of those people, if they want to be there, to light the candle and be a part of that. Um, and our our worship life being keyed into the lectionary also will have those same sort of texts and hymn that he will focus that on that as well. Um, a lot of years, not always, but a lot of years, we will sing that uh, famous hymn for all the saints on mm-hmm. All Saints Sunday. And it's it's bittersweet for a lot of people because uh, I know a lot of people for whom that's also a song that's sung um, at on at funerals. And as as immediately when someone has died, that, that song as well. And so I know for my wife in particular, she has this sort of love-hate relationship with All Saints and with that hymn because it brings back a lot of memories of uh, funerals and things and that it, it's it's sad in that way when all saints is meant to like acknowledge yeah people who have died but also to have hope with it um and last year we did something for the first time i don't think i'll I'll do it every year but it was something i wanted to um uh do in particular because of, of last year we, we did we had a baptism in the one congregation uh so that that experience you described sarah of acknowledging not just those who've died but that all of us here gathered are called the saints of god and so um i put pictures up on the walls in the sanctuary of a whole variety of people some who are canonized saints like uh saint paul or um uh uh St. Teresa of Lisieux and I mean, like we have people like through middle ages and then people who are figures of foundational faith, but who weren't canonized. So it included, you know, Martin Luther King and Baird, Baird Rustin and Dorothy Day. Uh, and then also everybody in the congregation. And, and the, the, that day we talked about how like all these people in this room whose faces you can see are saints of God, the people who have the little gold halos in their official pictures and the people who lived out their faith in very different ways in our lifetimes and the people sitting in the pews are saints. And, um, with that, trying to make that connection that it's, it's a wide, it's, it's an even bigger circle than just the people who we attach the official title saint to. It's uh, also includes people who are living right now. It includes the person who's just been baptized right now and hasn't done a whole lot in their lifetime either way. Um, but that, that, those are those been ways to try and get that same idea across uh, about all of us being saints. And again, the Lutheran in me wants to say, yep, we're saints and screw ups at the same time. <laughs> um, this is probably also a, a moment for us to talk about how this central idea that, as you point out, Sarah, has like been around for like 1200 years in some form or another, Um has also spun off in different directions in different cultures uh, as Christianity has appropriated or intermingled with customs in different places in the world. And we know them by different names in different places, but things like things as diverse and different as 
uh, Halloween comes out of this tradition. And uh, in Mexico, the tradition of Dia de los Muertos uh, comes out of the same time or emphasis in the church year. Um, and for Lutherans, this is also not by sheer coincidence where re- the timing of Reformation comes from because of the Festival of All Saints being when Martin Luther posted his 95 theses, not just because it happened to be the nearest Sunday, but because it was his concern about the idea of those who had died and whether they could rack up extra merits to get people out of purgatory that led him to post his theses that were about what he saw as the abuses of indulgences and purgatory, all that had to do with the saints and that notion of being the saints in the church and things like that. So for Lutherans, all saints and reformation are split a week apart. If you observe them separately, all saints, the end of October and um, all saints, the first Sunday in November. Um, But they're really tied as the same moment in the church's year. uh, And they make more sense when you understand them together that way. Should we talk a little bit more about like where how how Halloween spins out of this and also maybe where this uh, overlaps with or isn't quite the same as Dia de los Muertos as well? Yeah, I think so, because um, because you said something at the beginning of this episode, Steve, that I had kind of completely forgotten about, Um, because there are lots of Christian groups now who don't see Halloween as anything to do with the Christian church or the Christian Mm -hmm. faith. And that's a completely secular thing. Um, in particular, like I, it reminded me of a moment in elementary school when I got on the bus the same day as trick or treating and I had like a witch's hat on or something because we were having a party at school. And my school bus driver stayed in that, stayed in my driveway for a minute and gave me a lecture on the evils of Halloween and how he thought I was a Christian and therefore wouldn't be celebrating Halloween and that it was the devil's holiday. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being like nine or 10 and like (laughs) going all of a sudden, like I am a Christian. Like I'm very, like I never told you that. So I like, I'm a little bit uncomfortable, but like also what I can't go (laughs) tonight. Like this is the one time of year when I get candy. What are you like? I can't go and be Christian. This is somehow devil worshiping. What is this? And being like very distressed throughout my entire day at school until I could get home and like talk to my mom and my mom being all like, no, it's fine. <laughs> Let's go trick or treating. And it's it's worth noting. Yeah. Among Christians today, there are different takes on that. There are some who would be very, very uh, opposed and even outright hostile toward any celebration of Halloween, maybe because they are unaware of the connections back to all saints. Or let's be honest, too, there are branches of Christianity that are hostile toward anything out of Roman Catholicism. And this seems like one of those things tied up with Roman Catholicism. So it's easier to be opposed to that. But maybe mm-hmm. we should also note that there are there are also non-Christian pagan roots to some of the timing of all this, that when Christianity spread into uh, Ireland and the Northern British Isles, we came into contact with uh, uh, Celtic traditions that were already there, including a festival called Samhain, which is a fall harvest time festival that, again, in part of its traditional celebration involved belief like kind of like the Celtic notion of thin places of there being places where there are thinner boundaries between the living and the dead or heaven and earth and that kind of thing, that this was a day when the boundaries between the living and the dead, a day, not just a location, but a day when that, that boundary was broken and the spirits of the other world, the dead or other spirits or things were possibly walking around or interacting with us. And 
as we often have done in Christianity, we sort of took an existing holiday and restamped it with something we thought was appropriate to restamp it with, like we did with Saturnalia and turned that into Christmas. Um, that similarly, that became the timing when All Hallows Eve, when All Saints Day and the night before All Hallows Eve becomes the the day to celebrate that. But there are roots that have to do with maybe not explicitly Christian belief about the dead that we just kind of you know, overlaid or, or uh, staked a claim on. And there are some Christian traditions that are uncomfortable with the way we've taken that over. But we could also argue back, they seem to have no problem with the way we took over Christmas that way. They're like, <laughs> like we took over Saturnalia and that was already a pagan holiday. And I don't see anybody saying we should stop celebrating Christmas because that was a pagan festival earlier. Uh, at least nobody since the Puritans. <laughs> so, I mean, so to be fair, some of the more conservative Christian groups don't exactly celebrate Christmas. Right, right, right. In the same way that lots of other people sure. do. Like they won't necessarily have a tree. Right. And it's all about this is jesus's birthday right 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 so to be fair there are certain aspects of christmas that very conservative christian groups don't celebrate because it is pagan right and we could note too how much of what in american culture is still thought of as you know traditional christmas tide are really just borrowed from northern european pagan traditions like yuletide like the evergreens and all i mean a lot of things that people just assume are christmassy were northern european pagan winter solstice festival kinds of things that have gotten brought into christianity or or observances Mm -hmm. of christianity from groups that come out of northern europe so maybe maybe this points to a bigger question about how do each of us and our traditions relate to or how comfortable are we with overlapping with cultural things that come from outside christianity and Unless you're going to be really strict and limited to things that come out of Judaism, anything else that is associated with Christianity came from other cultures, and you got to decide if you're okay with that or not. So this that, that's maybe part of where that allergy toward Halloween may come from. So have either one of you heard of soul cakes? No, but they sound either delicious or terrifying. <laughs> yeah, so um, way back when, when like Halloween was primarily in you know, medieval Britain and Ireland thing. Um, Children and poor people uh, would go around with songs and prayers to rich houses. And they were given soul cakes where these little round cookie cake things. And they were given to the children and the poor people for the souls of their givers and their friends. And this was always around like the Halloween time. And the the kicker that I kind of get is that these look like communion wafers. They look like modern communion wafers, mm-hmm. but they're a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. but like they're perfectly round cookies with a cross on the top. Uh-huh. And this was especially, I think, a popular thing when the children and the poor people going around to sing these songs and to pray prayers were also dressed up like demons and witches. <laughs> They were kind of given these things that look like communion bread. Mm-hmm. So those are soul cakes. Yeah. They well, were associated with like early Halloween traditions. And maybe we could talk about how this also spins out to another outgrowth of the celebration of all saints, 
but in um, Mexico in particular, in Spanish-speaking cultures, uh, there's a whole tradition around Dia de los Muertos, which translates to Day of the Dead, where also celebration of food and a sense of a, a thinning of the barrier between the living and the dead is part of the celebration. Um, so even though it's it doesn't have the roots in Ireland and the, the northern British Isles like Samhain did, here's another place where an existing um, tradition about communing with the dead uh, once a year sort of becomes uh, connected to or tied to the Roman Catholic festival of all saints. And now we end up with this uh, day of the dead business. Uh, what are things that, that are worth noting about that celebration and how it maybe is and isn't exactly the same as how um, all saints is observed? So all saints tends to be more somber okay. and solemn where Dia de los Muertos is very joyful, exciting, mm-hmm. you know, it's colorful you could make a Pixar movie about it. They, they, yeah, they made a Pixar movie about it. Coco. <laughs> so, but like you, you see bright, those bright fall colors and people paint their faces um, like skeletons and uh, they build altars with pictures of their family members that have died and bring in food offerings and things. Um, to And they go out to the graveyards and they, and they celebrate mm-hmm. and they have, good times doing it yeah because that's seen more as a reunion of sorts yes. right because they yeah. believe that they're being visited by the souls of their ancestors so that's very much a celebration because it's like oh yes this is the day i get to see mom again this is the day i get to see grandpa again mm-hmm. um like it's very much a let's remember all of these people that have left us because they're coming back and yeah. visiting yeah. us yeah yeah mm-hmm. and this sort of points in a direction we talked in our the end of our last series, which is conveniently just a week ago, uh, when we talked about how different branches of Christianity, different strands within Christianity talk in different ways about what happens when we die. And that there are ways of talking about you're dead until the resurrection of the last day and other strands that would emphasize, nope, even after death, you are present in God's presence and therefore are in a meaningful sense alive right now. And that whole notion of we can commune with the dead, uh, whether it's on a particular occasion, or I might pray to so-and-so, hey, would you please help me out, St. Anthony, or would you help me out, St. Joseph? All that is built on a theology of when someone dies, they are conscious and awake somehow in the presence of God right now, and they can help me find my car keys, or they can help me sell my house, or I can commune with them and relate to them, or they care about my situation or something like that. So all of this piety around the saints tends to grow out of that, that taking a particular side in that debate or that conversation, but also that whole notion of the thin places or the thin times, whether it's a particular day or a location where we can commune more clearly with those who've gone before us assumes that, yeah, they are, they are alive in a meaningful sense, even after death and we can connect with them. That's, that's a whole piece of that piety. And for Christians that are not as comfortable with that, that's not going to be a place they're going to emphasize. They're going to be more just, let's remember that they lived and then that they died. It's interesting. I don't know a whole lot about uh, any particular festivals about this, but I do know that in um, a lot of um, traditional African cultures and therefore also in non-colonial African Christianity, there's a strong sense of being connected with the ancestors. And there's not limited to those who are fellow Christians, although sort of uh, African theologians in the modern era will talk about sort of this being an overlap with the notion of all saints. But there is such a focus on 
the honoring or veneration of those who have died, who once we don't remember their individual stories, they just become part of the collective, the ancestors. Um, but that, that's such an important part of uh, sub-Saharan African Christianity and, and African spirituality, that it's almost like even without having a special day for it, that's an emphasis in, if you read modern African theologians about being connected to those who have gone before us, that again, uh, folks out of, out of, European traditions maybe didn't grow up with that, and it's it's just a, a different emphasis. But even without needing to have a Dia de los Muertos, you end up with that emphasis all the time in tradition African traditional African Christianity. Are there other takeaways that uh, that, that would be helpful for folks about? Okay, I, I'm aware of how all these traditions exist, but what difference does any of this make in my life? What what are the take home points for folks listening? Like, why why does any of this matter, or where is there good news to be heard in the notion that once a year at least we take time to remember those who have died uh, or tell the stories of people who have gone before us? So why why does that matter? I think for me, it's a good reminder of. God's love for us, that God loves God's people. And that, you know, I might not remember somebody who lived in the 1600s, like especially the everyday person, but God remembers that person Mm -hmm. and God still loves that person. And that person is important in the big fabric of my faith journey. You know, even if I might not know their, know their name, they probably influence someone who influenced someone who influenced someone until you get down to me in mm-hmm. 2022. Mm-hmm. And that God loves me just as much as God loved that person in the 1600s or mm-hmm. the 800s or the 200s or, you know, before Christ was born. Um, that God doesn't forget those people. Um, and God doesn't forget the people who we are lifting up this November 1st or the Sunday after November 1st, um, that we are all God's people and God loves all of us. Mm-hmm. How about for you, Erica? For me, it kind of, Sarah, you mentioned that passage about the great cloud of witnesses mm. that comes up every three years in electionary. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of it for me is their example Mm. you know when we when we recall these names and we remember these folks and remember the lives that they lived and the example that they set um and and to strive after to follow as paul would say to follow them as they followed christ Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how about you steve I've been thinking, we we celebrated in the one congregation I serve. Earlier this fall, we celebrated the 200th anniversary of one of the predecessor congregations uh, that eventually became and merged into the, the one that I serve now. And um, it was making me think, like, in, in retracing some of that history, that in some ways it, it felt kind of like both humbling and a privilege to get to celebrate holidays that didn't start with me but go way, way back and even mm-hmm. go further mm-hmm. back than the, exi- the naming of this congregation. That it was about... 30 years ago that two churches came together and renamed themselves and became Hope Lutheran Church in Homer City. And the, the church I serve in Marion Center, three congregations came together and they have roots that go far, far back. And um, those roots now include places and buildings that aren't church buildings anymore or don't exist anymore. And even to read some of the history, uh, going back to the first settlers uh, who came to 
Indiana County, Pennsylvania, and brought their Lutheran faith with them about how how that eventually became a church. Like it's it's this reminder to me of how many people's stories weren't written down somewhere and yet contributed and brought. Here's my little gift of faith, or here's my contribution. And to read uh, the record of so and so provided the logs, it became the log cabin building, or so and so provided the labor, or so and so donated the land. Um, and to think about how it's not just in one one church or one congregation story, but that. For 2,000 years as as the story of, of the Christian community and for thousands of years going further back to the whole ancient story of the people of Israel, we're part of this big, long, extended family, and there are a lot of people whose contributions, we don't remember their name anymore, but man, what the, they were here mattered. And just like you say, Sarah, that even if I can't remember their names, they matter to God and their contributions still last, even if we can't trace exactly who it was who did this or that. Um and it's also kind of humbling, too, to think, like, we're part of that chain now, and somewhere in the future, someone's going to remember, you hope, something good that we did, even if they don't remember our name behind it. And it's not so much about did we get credit, but, like, for the time that we have on this planet, have we done something that brought good into the world or more rottenness into the world? Or the Lutheran in me wants to be honest, I'm probably going to end up with my life of having done some of both. Um, and how can I increasingly, to borrow the phrasing you used, Erica, follow after Jesus in such a way that it's worth other people following in my footsteps too. But it's, it's kind of humbling to see ourselves in that place that we're, we're somewhere in the middle of a really, really long relay race. So um, I guess I'll say we would invite you in whatever ways are appropriate to your tradition or maybe experimenting in new ways to consider this early November uh, what it's like to remember those saints who have gone before us uh, and whether you go dressing up and getting candy while you're doing it or paint your face halfway like a skull or simply remember the names and light a candle for those who've gone before you to remember and to be thankful for those people of God who've come before us and to see yourself among that and join us here for more conversation here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye.